Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey friends, uh, this podcast with my good friend Josh Ross is brought to you by Podbean. Now let me tell you one thing about Josh Ross. Josh Ross decided, I've got a message that I need to get out. It's a message about re-entry. And so I want to do a podcast. And so you know what he did? He went to our friends at Podbean and started his own podcast. And let me tell you something. Josh, he's a charming man. He's a good man. He's not a tech man, but he was able to figure out because Podbean makes it easy for anyone to get their message out there. And so Podbean is your all-in-one hosting, publishing uh, provider, and they will get your podcast. They'll get your message out. And now with their mobile app, it is even easier. You can record directly from your co- phone and publish it on your phone. So do what Josh Ross did. Go to Podbean, start your podcast. Now, on to the podcast at hand with Josh Ross. This is a live podcast we recorded at his church in Tennessee, and I think we're going to talk about it a little bit on the podcast, and uh, we're talking about his new book, which is entitled Reentry. Uh, I love this guy. He's a wonderful person, and hope you enjoy it. See you. I don't know why I said see you. Like, I'm not going to see you. It's an audio podcast. There's no seeing. It's just hearing. Okay, just listen. Here we go. I was expecting a laugh right there. <laughs> this is not going good. Now, so I've done about 250 podcasts, and I didn't think when I started that people would actually listen to them. And people do, and so that's kind of weird to me. Because the idea is that like, I'm just having a conversation with someone about something that's interesting to me. And uh, the fact that people listen in, I, I mean, I put it on the internet, so I'm expecting people to, to some degree, but it, part of my assumption is that I'll never see them. And so I don't actually have to engage and deal with people saying, Luke, that was a really awkward joke you just said. It makes me very uncomfortable. And so I get to see that happen right in front of me today. And to do that right after a worship set, it's kind of like when you show up for like at a, at a wedding and you think, oh, it's an outdoor summer wedding, it's casual, and you wear like a button-up shirt that's untucked and everyone else is wearing like black ties. That's what I feel like is about to happen right now. <laughs> so thanks for showing up to this very formal wedding and I'm wearing no socks. <laughs> Hi, Josh. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, so glad we are in, in huh? I'm glad to have you in Memphis with in me- us. Yes, you've described this as the Malibu of the Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm talking to my friends uh, out on the West Coast, this, uh, Eric Wilson, who was an executive minister here, when he mm-hmm. took a job out of Pepperdine, that, that was my joke. It was like, you, you know, it's Malibu of the Mississippi. It feels the same, man. If you go out at Pepperdine, you look over the... The bay, yeah, that feels that's, like you're at Bass Pro looking over the Mississippi, you know. <laughs> that's that's nice, and so I, I'm grateful to be with all of the mem- Memphians. What what do we call people from Memphis? Memphians, man. <laughs> Memphians. Okay, I added a Vivian in there. Well, it's great to be with all you Memphian. What is it? Yeah, Memphian. Just say people from Memphis. You could see, like, if you say you're from Phoenix, go. I'm I'm a Phoenician. Like, no one likes you. But if you say I'm a memphibian, I think everyone would be like, oh, I want to be your friend. So maybe see if that would pick up. Anyway, um, so today you took me uh, for lunch after service to a, um, a Memphis staple called... Yeah, Gus's Fried Chicken. Gus's Fried Chicken. I almost had to just like call this one in because I was not able to wake up after eating all that food. So thank you. Yeah, that's, how, that's how we eat here in Memphis. You eat yeah. and you sleep. Yeah. 
<laughs> so if you all sleep during this, I'll get it. I, I might too. The, um, th- this morning, I made a comment about uh, y'all's preacher, and I said he is just a genuine person, which I think you all agree. Like, he's a very good person, right? Yes. And I, yes, let's give him a round of applause. Mm. And... I said of, like, of the list of all the preachers in our circle, like he's at the very top in terms of like just a high quality individual. And then I heard him tonight speak wonderful words about the musicians, about coworkers. And um, like I said, you're at the top and I was at the bottom and seeing your ability to speak life into people makes me wonder like, why didn't you say anything to me? Like, you're so good at that. You just decided, no, you, you really are I, at the bottom. I've put it in a tweet that I'm going to drop at 1 a.m. so people can see it when they wake mm-hmm. up in the middle of the night and scroll through Twitter. Okay. Do you think once your church sees the way that you slandered me in your book, they'll still think you're a high character? <laughs> Do, did, so I, my publisher told me that I've got to get releases anytime I mention someone in my book. It, it seems like yours didn't ask you to do that, or at least with the stories about me. Uh, you know, I thought our friendship was to the point where <laughs> you were okay. Mm-hmm. You were okay with... How many stories did I tell about you in the book? Well, let's just talk about one. There's a story you told about us when we were in grad school, and we go, that's how I felt when I read it, just like that. Um, <laughs> the story goes that we go to, yeah. the, to the weight room on ACU's campus, go Wildcats. Um, who have any Wildcats in the house tonight? Yes, there we go. I like that. Um, Wildcats. And you said that I took a weight and strapped it to my head and therefore like had a slip disc because I put a 75-pound weight around my head. Now... You would have to be really dumb to put a 75-pound weight around your head, don't you think? Yeah, I would, never, I would never do that. So it was 72 pounds, which is much more modest weight. Would you like to say anything now? No, no I, I've told that story in countless places because... <laughs> uh, his... And I've told this story here at Sycamore View a couple of times. Would you like to apologize? uh, You know, let me tell the story real quick. (laughs) Because he was doing these air push-ups with a 72, not 75, uh, pound weight hanging from his neck. And the next day in class, he sneezed and half of his face went numb. And he looked at me and he said, boss, because most of my friends, they call me boss. Not because I'm bossy. It just rhymes like Josh Boss Ross. It just flows. All right? He said, boss, my face just went numb. Or because you make us. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Casey still, she does not call me boss. All right. Uh, <laughs> I ended up having to take him to the ER because he had you know, messed up a, a, a disc. And I, I tell that story because, uh, you know, there's some things the body is not created to do. That's nice. And then there's some things the church was created to do and not do. It, it works, man. So I'm sorry you have to be hmm. the one that I use to tell the story, but it, it works. So I've got some other stories about you that you could substitute for. You know, but for the sake of our time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we got, we got okay. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to those later, um, but there are a lot of them. Um, okay, so you write this book, Reentry, that was based off you going to Bear, Alaska. It's like forever ago now, five or six years ago? Yeah, it was January of 2014. 2014. And uh, do we have the picture up there? Can, can we get the picture up there? Is that, is that possible? The cover picture from the, uh, the book? 
I'm going to keep waiting for it. Is it going to show up? I don't know if it is. Um, if, if you haven't seen it, like just imagine someone who just got off like the night shift working in like a big freezer. And that's what he kind of looks like. Uh, yeah, that's what he does as a side job. Um, was that actually in Alaska or is that in a freezer? <laughs> I was in Alaska. We were shooting a video that day. Had you ever been in anything below freezing before? Uh, below freezing, yes. Below zero, no. Okay, and how cold was it there? Uh, when I landed, it was, I think, negative 42, negative 65 wind chill. Mm-hmm. Now, let me show you one of the differences between me and your preacher, and this is why he's at the top of the list and I'm not. Um, this last summer, I went on a trip for a sermon series that I'm currently preaching, and I went to um, the Greek island of Mykonos. Um, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. That really happened. Um, Did you think that maybe doing the series is not like the best idea in terms of where you're going to end up for traveling? Yeah, I I didn't want to do it. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to write a book and I wanted to preach a sermon series on darkness to light. And I had this idea of using these small towns above the Arctic Circle as part of like the research that's come from these places and how they navigate long seasons of darkness. I wanted to use a research, but when I called up, uh, so I, I do have a literary agent that I've used for the books I've written. And when I called him up, he said, Hey, that's a great idea. But if you want to write about this, you've got to go. So I didn't want to do it. It was my, my friend, Wes Yoder, who ends up talking me into it. Mm-hmm. I'll give you my agent's name and he'll probably give you better advice uh, in the future. <laughs> Just FYI, I'm, yep. this idea of reentry is very fascinating. Right. Um, so you, I had read your book m- months ago, and my wife is named Lindsay, and she knew about it. And we just come back from vacation this summer, and our three girls have been being taken care of by uh, my in-laws, her parents, and after going from vacation to taking care of three small children again, she's like, "I think I need to read Josh's book about reentry because it's not very easy." But that concept has been fascinating to me, like this idea of like starting over, especially I know that you were influenced um, by uh, our friends, and I say ours, like the church's friends, in the uh, recovery movement, and that's been heavily influential in you. And the idea of, I, I think, like getting clean, like the prodigal son coming home, that's a compelling story. Uh, but one of the things that I found, at least in the church I'm a part of, when we talk about prodigals coming home, is Jesus' story tells it as a one-time thing. But most of us who've experienced life realize that prodigals are always having to come back home. It's not just like a one-time thing. It's you, you get sober, you, count, you have a chip. You, you celebrate how long that's been, but no one expects that to be forever. There's always this idea that I could fall off the wagon and come right back into it. Why do you think that idea of reentry, of getting back on, if you've fallen off the wagon to get back, why do you think that's so hard? Oh, man, so hard because you know, the line I keep coming back to a lot throughout, not just the book, but my experience, even a Sycamore View, is we're hit with circumstances and, and maybe tragedies. Sometimes they're sin-induced. Sometimes it's, they're just circumstances, tragedies, whatever it may be, that how we move into the future, how we walk into the future with God's not going to look like how it how it looked like walking with God in the past because relationships and circumstances have. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when we are hit with these seasons of life, when so much changes, if it's death, grief, divorce, bankruptcy, loneliness, a child going away to college, 
and it's not going to look like how it did in the past, it can be hard to kind of find your way and to, to learn how to walk into that, to navigate that road into the future. It's a difficult path. So the key is, I mean, what, what questions drive us? What are the principles that we're forming our life on that we can fall back on in those times that keep us going and keep our eyes focused on Jesus, even when so much of life does change? So if you're giving the advice of someone who's trying to get back on the wagon, they try to they try to do the right thing. They've fallen off. Okay, I got to get back on. Where do you start? Like, what's the first bit of advice that you would give? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, especially if it's if it's sin induced, I think you've got to be able to to pause and name the sin for what it is. I mean, you've got to be very specific about what you were trying to move away from and what you're trying to move into. Okay. So, knowing what the form of darkness is. Uh, it's it's I think important. It's vital for us to be able to name it for what it is, so that we are we know what we're moving away from, and we also know what the triggers are that may take us back to that place, so that we can move away from that into something so much better and glorious. What if it's not sin induced? What if it's circumstances of life? You, you mentioned death earlier. Obviously, for those of us who know your story, you know death is part of that. How do you? How do you advise someone differently if it's, if it's not sin, but it's circumstances? Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, we're going to probably get into it a little more here in a little while, but some of the, a couple of the principles I took that drive the people in Barrow is how important it is to have established roots and to have healthy rhythms. So when it comes to roots, like what are those three to five, maybe some people have a few more than five, but what are those concrete convictions that we're building our life on and how important rhythms are of having healthy rhythms, healthy habits, disciplines, and those do change quite a bit. So if it's not sin-induced, but the circumstances, relationships, other things have changed, what is it that we know is true what are those truths that we're banking our life on and what are those rhythms and rhythms change quite a bit but what are those rhythms that are going to keep us connected to the things that are most important to us god faith church family mission of god so you're saying rhythms change but roots don't yeah i think i think so i think in our in our lives um roots change maybe sometimes but not much give us an example of a root uh, okay, the, my, my five roots. If you were to ask, okay. ask me, just say, "Hey, what are what are the roots of your life?" Hey, what are the five roots of your life? But just say roots, because you don't know how many there are. Just say how hey, many. Hey, what are the roots? Uh, that's a great question. Let Thank me. Yeah, let me. Uh, I, I would say I have five. Now, everybody, even people here, you people listening on the podcast, may not have five. They may have three. They may have seven. I think when I was eighteen years Can old, it be an even number does that have to be odd. Uh, I mean, three, a five, biblical seven. number: three, five, three, seven, twelve, forty. Okay, uh, that's. A- <laughs> I think when I was 18, though, I probably had like a list of 20 things that I thought were like the foundation of my life. And the older I get, the fewer they have become, but the stronger they are, um, that the resurrection is the best news for the world and it changes everything. That God is still just as creative as God was in Genesis 1 and 2. So God is, he created in the beginning, he still creates out of nothingness, nothingness now. That God is, he was the deliverer in the Exodus, which in my opinion is the greatest story of the Old Testament. He's still the deliverer and the liberator today. That God is a God of steadfast love and covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and fourthly is those things. I that don't are, think he likes your answers. No, that's an amen. Oh, okay. That is amen. Okay, All right, so. hallelujah. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, you know, keeping a healthy rhythm of uh, family and fellowship and church. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean, those would be the roots that are pretty pretty set for me. Yeah. 
but the idea that the roots that you had years ago, longer list, has become smaller over the years. Yeah. Why do you think, and that's a common uh, statement, I think, but I think Barbara Brown Taylor says it so best that when she was younger, she had this uh, this chest of ideas, this massive idea. D- do you have this in your book, this quote? You should, if you don't. So. Um, but she, she had this massive chest of ideas, but over the years, it's shrunk to like a shoebox. Why do you think that for so many people, it goes from a, a long list to a smaller one? You'd think that over the years, you accumulate more but instead of less. Man, I, I don't know, and I would love, I'm only 37. You're, what, we're about Much the same younger. age. Much <laughs> younger, 36. And I, would, uh, and I would love to talk to some people here who are more seasoned in life than me, but I think the older we get, the more we realize that there may be some things that we thought were more important than they are, uh, than they really are. And there are some things that, life experience just solidified how important those things are and how we need them in our lives moving forward. Mm -hmm. So you have these roots that the foundational ones stay the same. Rhythms change. Yeah, rhythms. uh, Roots should not change in your life much. Mm -hmm. Rhythms should change quite a bit. Okay. What are some rhythms that you had before Jenny died that maybe have changed since then? Oh, man. Wow. Man. Um, Probably, I mean, rhythms that root me in a place of hope probably became stronger after Jenny died than before she died. Needing those moments of when I am overcome by uh, darkness or circumstantial depression, um moments when I'm overcome with grief, that there are triggers that send me to hope and joy and life, needing these reminders of if God raised Jesus from the dead, he's going to raise Jenny from the dead, and he's going to raise other people in my life or even in our church who have passed away. So, it, what, Okay, so what kind of... What kind of rhythms help remind you of that root, right? The root is resurrection. The rhythm is things that remind you of Yeah, it. I think post-Jenny, it was uh, the importance of having some, some, some triggers that if I felt my heart going down a certain way, I needed something to, cl- something to click and go off, and I began to value the power of the 15-second prayer. Hmm. Some people call them breath prayers. They're the brief prayers that can reorient us in the heart of God so that we live from a place of hope, hope, life, and joy, which before Jenny died, I don't know how much I valued how vital a 15-second prayer could change my mood and rhythm for the rest of the day. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, one of the things that I've found is that the more I talk for a living, I mean, it is my job, the more that I value the discipline of silence. And the rhythm of silence is far more prominent in my life now than it used to be 10 years ago. And the more I talk, the more I find salvation in not talking. And so I, I think that's an example of how like rhythms are changing based on the context that you're in. I think that the Desert Fathers talked about... Um, so like someone who had sexual sin, the discipline that they would prescribe often was fasting because there's a correlation between controlling the body uh, physically and sexually and with food. So there's like, there's this precedent that, that rhythms change. How do you think people can understand the rhythms that are most helpful and substantial for them depending on the context that they're in? Like where do they go to help understand, okay, this is a rhythm that right now would really help me be rooted. 
Uh, man, I think they're discovered best in two things. One, just um, seeking after the heart of God, and two, being rooted in a healthy community, a healthy faith community, because I think what community you're in helps develops the develop the rhythms that that you need in life. So if you're if you're rooted in the heart of God, you're seeking after the heart of God. Uh, God will reveal, because he's still just as creative as he was in the very beginning, God can reveal what some of these rhythms are that keep you connected to God and the things that are most important. And I think the church can help solidify what those what those need to be. Hmm. So whenever I, uh, and this is so fun, and, and the job I have occasionally people come and they're like, help me, help me develop some of these rhythms or what are some spiritual disciplines or holy habits, whatever you want to call them, that help me develop these because I haven't had them and I want to grow closer to God. And being, being able to sit with people, this isn't a five-minute conversation. I mean, these are yeah. ongoing conversations that may take a few weeks helping people develop this, but it's helping coach them along of what are some of these disciplines in your life that help you develop this healthy rhythm that will sustain you for a long time. Now, with rhythm, though, these need to change probably every 12 or 18 months because the rhythms that even Casey and I had in our marriage the first five years before we had kids, uh, we had to develop new rhythms in that next phase of our marriage when we had two kids, uh, when we moved to Memphis, when we moved to Binghampton. Uh, So... For me, it's a really fun process to be able to think, okay, are the rhythms that have sustained me for the last six months the rhythms that need to carry me into the future? Or is it time for me to spend a few days in a lot of silence and prayer to discern what are the rhythms that need to, to lead me into 2018 and beyond? Hmm. That's good. I know one of the reasons you wanted to do this with your church is because of the connection it has had in helping you process and helping your formation how, how have you seen Sycamore View play a role in you as your processing reentry after you know Jenny's passing and transitions into Memphis? Um, how, how have you seen that in this community? Yeah, uh, it's hard to believe I'm coming up on ten years here uh, as the preacher of Sycamore View. Um, and what ten years really? Yeah, man. That seems like yeah, a long it's been time. Like nine and a half I'm years. I'm hoping that they won't say amen. Yeah. Like it seemed like a long time. Amen. <laughs> yeah. That's a good sign. I'm well sure, done, church. I'm sure there are those. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I mean, I just turned 37. I asked some people, I was like, when's the last time you had a 37 year old preacher? And some people here at Sycamore View were like, I've never in my life had a 37 year old preacher. So, um, uh, the, what Sycamore View has done, and I mean, let me broaden even your question, what Sycamore View has done to help teach me the road from darkness to light and what this journey looks like for uh, non-believers in the unchurched and the lost, what, uh, for those who have, maybe it's been addiction, whatever that dark road has looked like, to see this church rally around people, um, not wanting to be a church that becomes like just this permanent ICU that's only nursing people, but like really like they care about nursing people back to health to where they're thriving in life and trying to live from a place of hope and joy has been so beautiful. It's also been really messy because when you get serious about the road from darkness to light, you get serious about reentry and reengagement. It gets really messy because you're having to like open up and pry open the dark stuff in your life so that we can really deal with it so that we can we can move forward. So, yeah, I wanted to do this event with the church because, I mean, the book I wrote has my name on it, but it's it's more than just my name. It's the story of that Sycamore View's been invested in. It's the story that Memphis has lived for so long. 
you know, just this continual journey from darkness to light and wanting to move to a, to a better place. Yeah, it, it also has the name of the person who wrote the study guide on it. It does, yeah. Back, just yeah. FYI. It's me. Right. <laughs> Which I love. I mean, in the study guide, you even make a joke about how I tell stories about you <laughs> in the book. I was trying to update it. It was <laughs> yeah. almost like a, an amendment, dare I say, uh, like the Constitution. It needed it, so does your book. Um, Yep. Sorry. Um, <laughs> when you hear the language of reentry, it's almost like a one-time thing. Like, okay, I'm getting back into this. Uh, knowing your heart, I know that y- you see this as a continual process. How do we orient ourselves to understanding formation as not just a, a one-time getting back in the game, but like always being entering into what the kingdom looks like for us? Yeah, and. I'm glad even that last sentence you mentioned the word enter because you can't have re-entry if there hasn't been entry. You can't re-engage something you haven't engaged in the first place. Mm-hmm. So uh, even though the book is about re-entry, uh, it, a lot of times, even here at Sycamore View, we talk about recovery or re-engagement. Uh, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't diminish the power of entry, the need for conversion, surrendering a life to Jesus. So, I mean, that that's so vital, and we don't want to minimize that at all. I do realize also in the Christian faith, a lot of times we can emphasize entry, and that becomes the only sermon we preach if we aren't helping people re-engage. Um, but when it comes to re-entry and re-engagement, some of the, like, the things we're having to re-engage is just like moving out of seasons of apathy and complacency. So one reason I love placing this in front of people, no matter what age they are, is, um, I mean, recently I've been with people in their 70s who asked me to pray prayers or were in a setting where prayers are being prayed and they are asking for what's next for me? You know, I want to, I want to seek the, I'm seeking the Lord right now in my life because what does God want for me uh, as I continue on? And I hope I'm 73 asking the same question, you know, that yeah. I'm not done. So I am still asking questions no matter what age I am of how am I engaging and re-engaging the heart of God and the mission of God. And I realize that the older we get, our mobility may not be what it once was, but with the energy and the time and the health we still have, how can we use that for God. And a lot of times it is about re-engaging the heart of God to discover what that is. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Is that good? What do you think? I, th- I think, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it in the podcast. I'm not going to edit it out or anything. So that's, that's a solid idea. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I think it's a continual process. And I think one of the struggles of, like this is being a young preacher and also like being a writer is that oh, this is me, I've got it all figured out. I'm 37 or I'm a young 36. Um, like who wants to hear someone who acts like you have it figured out when you're our age? No amens on that, please. <laughs> yeah. um, but th- there's kind of like a, a pompous thing of I- I've got it figured out when you're our age. But I think the idea is like this is a process, this is a journey and that um, it's not a commitment to one form as much as it's a commitment to a formational process. And that, Right, and even the phrase that Jesus often uses to call people into relationship, follow me. Yeah. If you look how that, that phrase plays out in the Gospels, he uses that phrase 
uh, more for people who are already in relationship with him, calling them to deeper places, than he does to call people who are not in a covenant with him to come into a covenant. Mm-hmm. It's the phrase that just keeps coming. I mean, this morning in your sermon, you, you read from John 21, which follow me shows up in John 21. It's what he used to call those disciples into relationship, and what he, it's what he continues to use to call us into deeper trust, mm-hmm. deeper lives of discipleship, moves us through the storm. It's the phrase that keeps coming. So it's a phrase that Jesus keeps saying. What do you think the biggest hindrance is for many of us who've gone to church for years, like you and I, we grew up being a part of Christian community, and for us to just think, okay, I've got this figured out. This is one thing I do on Sunday. I've got it figured out. Uh, that's what I'm supposed to say. That's what I'm supposed to do. And it's just a part of your life instead of like this all-encompassing process of continual formation. The greatest hindrance Yeah, to what, that? You, what prevents us from doing that? Oh, man, wow. Uh, you know, I, I go to fear, um, complacency, cruising through life, losing a deep hunger for what the things that are most important, uh, being caught up in uh, allowing um, the news and the culture to define who we are and to create a lens and a worldview for us more than the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And all these things are, they can be really dangerous in forming false uh, um, allegiances, yeah. misplaced allegiances. What do you think? What would be, what do you think are some of the biggest hindrances to this? I, I think sometimes thinking that Christianity is just about getting a box checked off so I can get into heaven and doing the right thing. And so church is something that you've been told you're supposed to do. And to be a good person, okay, this is, I, I go to church three times a month, that's good enough. And instead of understanding this is a way of experiencing life and experiencing God. And, and I, I think the problem is that we don't think that Jesus is wrong. We just think that Jesus is one part of our life. And so Jesus is the Sunday thing, and then work is the Monday through Friday thing, and what I do for fun is Friday night, and then the family commitments is on Saturday, instead of seeing Jesus as the filter that you, you use to see everything else through. Yeah. No, no, that's really good. Uh, which Thank you. Would also make me, uh, you know, go to places like I mean, just in our culture, individualism. That mm-hmm. uh, my Christianity is about Jesus and me, yeah. uh, and me being in a good place with God. And don't call me outside of my individual, personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, when when the gospel is so much more than that. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I, I think I think immature faith, as I've experienced it myself personally, and as I've seen it, is. It's always about how am I different from everyone else because I'm the right Christian, which kind of sounds like maybe the worst side of the tradition that I've been a part of my entire life is we're so much different from everyone else. Instead of saying we are all children of God, God has created us all with the image of God inside of us, and how can we be brothers and sisters even if our churches look different and act different? And one of the real neat things that the church I'm a part of just did is um, across the street from us is an Episcopalian church. And in July, they had a problem with their building. They were out of electricity for 10 days. And so I don't know what's more Good Samaritan-ish than in July in Texas not having AC and a church being able to say, hey, we see you on the other side of the road. Why don't you come join us for a worship service? And so we had the Episcopalian church across the street come over and they joined us for entire service. And then just three, uh, three or four days ago, they had invited us to come over for a special Thursday night, uh, what they call Eucharist service. And so our Church of Christ Church and this Episcopalian Church got together and they asked me to preach at it, which meant uh, I got to wear a fancy robe, which I'm not going to lie, it was pretty amazing looking. Um, 
it, you should get one for Josh. It's great. They're very hot, but uh, but to see like we're we're all in this together, and it's not just siloed. Um, this church is just one thing, and we're different, and we're trying to be the right ones instead of being the connected ones, the loving ones. Yeah, and, and this whole idea of re-entering re-engagement plays out on multiple different levels. So we don't have to go deep into this right now, but there is like just the individual personal level of how we are entering and re-entering into covenant and commitment to God. Mm-hmm. It also plays out on a communal level or a family level. How is your, like what are the roots that are established in your family, even like with you and Lindsay or the rhythms that are driving a family uh, on a church level? Um, there are times when any church is committed to the cause of Christ. You are making decisions sometimes that everyone's not on board with. So there are seasons of darkness and transitions that churches go through. And it's, it's even true on like a, a level of a city, man. Cities go through some dark seasons. I mean, in Memphis, you look throughout our history, there are things that we have gone through as a just an entire county that, uh, whether it was Dr. King who was assassinated or justice issues, that we're having to navigate this as, as a people. Like, how are we going to really treat neighbors? So this plays out on so many yeah. different levels of how we are, this, this journey from darkness to light, navigating it, wanting to be faithful to the call of God. Yeah, there are few people I know, few preacher pastor types who love their city as much as you do. Um, I'm one of them. My middle name is Austin. I live in Austin, so I'm very committed to my town. You haven't ever done that, like have your middle name be Memphis or Memphibian. Um, But I know know that Choose 901 is a big part, not just of a a hashtag, but a way of life for you. And so you, how, how do you think this book is different because it was written by someone who's in Memphis compared to someone who lived elsewhere? How has Memphis shaped the idea of reentry? Oh, my goodness, man. Uh, I think um, th- this book to me felt a lot like the first one I wrote, Scarred Faith. Um, but I think what this book did is it gave me more years of experience, both in my life with God, also in ministry, but also in Memphis. Um, more time, more experience, more adventure. Well, Memphis has done, and even here tonight in this room, we have a couple of nonprofit leaders who are fully engaged in efforts of reentry and reengagement, taking you know single moms who've been homeless and helping them find uh, housing and jobs to people who are uh, invested in ministries that are taking those who've been incarcerated and helping them. I mean, reentry is the word, like helping them reenter into the fabric of life. So it has given me so much more knowledge and experience. Mm-hmm. That's good. And Memphis, I, I mean, it, it's hard to even put into words what Memphis in the 901 has done to form Casey and myself and our family and what it, how God has used it to teach us about the kingdom mm-hmm. of God. That's good. Just imagine how much more that would be if you guys had real good barbecue like in Texas. Oh, so You know, yeah, oh man. You're not gonna make it out. Hey, there's an exit on both sides of the stage. I would that encourage you to, that was to the go down one of those. You know, I've talked to I've talked to um, couple hundred people who've written books for my podcast and I've heard a lot of people talk about reasons. People are leaving after that comment, I like it. Um, <laughs> I've heard a lot of people talk about why they've written a book, and none of them uh, equal one of the things that Josh said about why he wanted um, to write this book. And I'm not going to say looking at you because I can't. But he uh, he said to me uh, a couple years ago, we were in Nashville, 
and we were walking into a restaurant, and it was me and you, and I know Josh Graves was with us, and I think one other person, and you said, you know, I want to write this book so that my first book, uh, people will pick up a copy of it more uh, than they are right now. Just more people will know about Scarred Faith because that helps keep Jenny's story alive. And uh, that's, that's good, man. Um, so, Josh, thank you for writing this book. Appreciate it. And uh, thank you for all that you do. And um, thank you very much. So, Yeah, thanks for being here, man. All right. This podcast was brought to you by our friends at Podbean, your all-in-one podcast hosting and publishing platform. And now with their new mobile app, it gets even easier. You can record and post directly from your phone. So if you've got a message you want to get out, if you've got teachings you want to share, go to podbean.com backslash newsworthy and they'll take good care of you. Go check them out like I have because they're great. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you back here next time.